We are currently 14 of 18 sermons through a series called In Christ. And this series is an exposition of St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And so if you are visiting or if you haven't been worshiping with us for the past 13 sermons preached up to this point, it's important to note that St. Paul's epistle to the believers in Ephesus can be broken down into two parts. So part one is chapters one through three, which highlight the indicatives of the gospel. All that God has done for us on our behalf, giving us the gift of salvation. Uh, Another way to summarize chapters one through three is the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about in the first part of this letter. Then part two consists of chapters four through six, which highlight the imperatives of the gospel, how we are to live life as Christians united to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And a way that you might summarize part two is the law. So Paul is writing this letter. It's broken into two parts, the indicatives and the imperatives or the gospel and the law. This morning's text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, which is within the scope of the second part, which presents us with the imperatives, the commands, the law. And since the beginning of chapter 4, I have highlighted St. Paul's emphasis on living the new life in Christ. And this has been noted by his exhortations to put off sin by obeying the prohibitions of God's law, and by putting on righteousness, by acting in accordance with the commands of God's law. And with this, as God's covenant people, united to Christ by grace through faith, the Apostle Paul has exhorted the Ephesians, as well as you and me by extension, to walk in a certain manner. We are to walk in good works that God has prepared for us, We are to walk in love, void of selfish ambition and unbridled lust. We are to walk in the light, abstaining from evil deeds and exposing the sin of our own hearts and the sin of the culture. We are to walk in wisdom, without folly, exercising discernment, being filled with the Spirit, expressing thanksgiving and exhibiting humility. And so all of these ideas, these These points of putting off and putting on, along with walking in a manner worthy of our calling, all of this summarizes what St. Paul has expressed thus far as he presents the imperatives of living life in Christ. This morning, we are going to see a new development within the text. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 22, and all the way up to chapter 6, verse 9, The Apostle Paul is going to make a transition and explain what our households should look like in Christ. Because we have been made alive, St. Paul will exhort us in the verses to come, demonstrating how we are to live as husbands and wives in Christ. He will admonish us to live in a certain way as parents and children in Christ. The Apostle Paul will address the conduct of 
masters and slaves, of employers and employees in Christ. Also, up to this point in his epistle, St. Paul has expressed two motivations for putting off sin and putting on righteousness. He has given us two reasons for walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. The apostle has given us two principles for why we should obey God's law as prescribed through his authoritative imperatives. And the first is this. The first motivation is love for God expressed through worship. And the second is love for neighbor. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, as the Apostle Paul was making his transition from highlighting the indicatives to outlining the imperatives, as he was moving from gospel to law, he expressed the first motivation. He said this at the end of chapter 3, to him be the glory in the church. Love for God expressed through worship is the first motivation to obey God's law. Then, as we worked through the meat of chapter 4, St. Paul presented a second motivation. All of his imperatives were, that were given in that section hinged upon verse 25, in which he said this, For we are members one of another. And so love for neighbor is the second motivation to obey God's law. And thus far, these motivations from the Apostle Paul are exactly in line with Jesus' own summation of God's law recorded in the gospel accounts for us, where Jesus summarized all of the moral law in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so with that, in the following verses, we will see the Apostle Paul add a third motivation for obeying God's law, and that is this, personal joy. Love for God, love for neighbor, and personal joy. As he makes his transition in chapter 5 to address Christian households, the Apostle Paul will also demonstrate that obedience to God's law will ultimately bring you and me joy and save us from misery. You see, you and I want our children to obey us for the sake of their own joy. We prohibit our children from playing in the street because we want them to live a long life. You and I command our children to do their schoolwork because we want them to experience the joy of success that follows intellectual skill and competence. Likewise, our Heavenly Father presents you and me with prohibitions so that we would be kept from misery. As his dearly loved children, he gives us commands so that we might experience joy in Christ. And as we move forward in the epistle to the Ephesians, this theological concept is key to rightfully understanding and applying the upcoming exhortations from the Apostle Paul. What St. Paul will command us to do, specifically as husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, is ultimately for our joy. This morning, our text is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. And these three verses are going to address how wives are to conduct themselves in the context of a marriage relationship. Next week, 
we will pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, and address how husbands are to live in relationship to their wives. So this morning, as we address wives, I want to answer three questions as we consider our text together. Number one is this. What is commanded by the Apostle Paul here in our text this morning? Number two, what does this mean? And number three, what does this look like? So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. I'm going to read our text and then pray. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your holy word. Help us to understand Paul's commands, admonitions, and exhortations. And then help us to put these things into practice here at All Saints Church. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so let's start with verse 22 to see what is commanded. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A plain reading of this text is straightforward and really not complicated to understand. Wives are commanded by the Apostle Paul to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. But notice the emphasis that St. Paul places on the wife's duty to her own husband. A wife is not required to submit to all men in general. Instead, she is commanded to submit to her own man. And I think while this text is axiomatic, this is probably where some might get tripped up in thinking that a wife, just because she is a woman, is to submit to all men in general. But clearly, that is not in scope for the Apostle Paul. A wife is to submit to her own husband. Also, notice the motivation at the end of the verse. Wives are to submit, not strictly out of principle, but in a worshipful posture toward the Lord. The submission of a wife is not only directed to her husband, but she is also directing to her Savior. Again, this idea of obedience motivated by worship. So then, here in verse 22, wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. This is as plain as a command can get. Now, let's look at verse 23 and answer the question, what does this mean? That's what he says. What does he mean? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. The command for wives to submit means that a woman's husband is her head. 
That is, a husband exercises authority over his wife and bears the responsibility for his wife's physical and spiritual well-being and flourishing. There are two things to note here. First, a wife submits to her husband because he has been given authority over her. And second, a wife submits to her husband because he is responsible for her. So I want to consider that first point of authority and then the idea of responsibility. A husband receives his authority from two places. First, he receives his authority from God himself, who designed the world with hierarchy artistically woven into the framework of creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul articulates his point this way. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Again, the first place that a husband receives authority is from God, who has created husbands to have authority over their wives. The second place a husband receives authority is from his wife. In the process of choosing a spouse and agreeing to marry him, a woman gives her husband authority over her as she enters into a marriage covenant with him. And more times than not, this is done in conjunction with her father. That is why many wedding ceremonies make it a point to acknowledge the giving away of a bride by asking the question, who gives this woman in marriage? Simultaneously, as the bride is given to her husband, a transfer of authority takes place. So then, a wife submits to her husband because he has been given authority over her. Authority from God in the design of the marriage and authority from herself or her father. With this, a wife submits to her husband because he is responsible for her. Here, the Apostle Paul makes a connection between Christ and the church and a wife and her husband. When we consider the work of Christ as Savior to the church, there are two points that really summarize his work, and that is this. Provision and protection. In his substitutionary and atoning death at Calvary, Christ provided for the church's greatest need. That is the atonement of our sins, redemption, salvation, and adoption. Christ's work as Savior was and is truly providing. Also as his bride, Christ promises to protect and keep us. So in John chapter 6, Jesus said that he will never lose us, nor will he let us be plucked from his hand. And so the work of Christ as Savior is also one of protection. And with this, Paul says, likewise, a husband is the head of his wife, as the head is to protect and provide for his bride just like Christ. A man is responsible for his wife's physical health and wealth. 
along with being responsible for his wife's spiritual development and discipleship. The wife then submits to her husband's authority, trusting that he will provide and protect in both the tangible ways and the sacred ways. In short, a wife is to submit to her husband because he is her authority and is ultimately responsible for her. Now, this does not mean that a wife is without authority or responsibility, as the church is not without authority or responsibility. In fact, husbands should be delegating authority and responsibility to their wives. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, that a wife possesses authority over her husband's body. And the husband automatically delegates that authority in marriage by entering into a marriage covenant with her. But more than just his body, husbands should be delegating responsibility to their wives according to their gifts and skills. And that could mean that a husband gives his wife authority over the checkbook or the education of their children or the driving lessons of their teenage sons. Delegating authority can also be in the form of financing one's wife in her education, in her undergrad or postgraduate education, so that she can develop her gifts and skills that can be used inside the home and outside of the home, like the woman in Proverbs 31. Now, there is an important distinction between delegating authority and abdicating authority. Delegating authority means that one willingly empowers others with real power to make and execute decisions. When one delegates their authority, they take ownership of outcomes regardless of the results. In contrast, abdicating authority means that by default, one forces others around them to lead where they will not. When one abdicates their authority... They deflect and make those around them suffer the consequences that they are ultimately responsible for. At the end of the day, the one who delegates and the one who abdicates are both responsible for outcomes. God will hold all people who are in authority accountable. And as Kevin said it so well this morning in Sunday school, headship of a man in a marriage is an indicative position. The man is the head. Whether he delegates or abdicates, he still is the head. However, the person who delegates will own outcomes, and the person who abdicates will try and hide. To be clear, the Bible affirms the delegation of authority and condemns the abdicating of authority. And what I am arguing in favor of this morning is the delegating of authority. Husbands should give authority and responsibility to their wives while owning the outcomes. Again, like the husband in Proverbs 31, and in a similar way in which Christ has given the church authority here on earth. With all that being said, I want to come back to the original question. What does the Apostle Paul's command in verse 22 mean? In summary, it means this. A wife is to submit to her own husband 
because he has been given authority over her and is therefore responsible for her well-being and flourishing. Let's look at verse 23 and answer the final question, what does this look like? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The Apostle Paul says that the relationship between the church and Christ corresponds to a wife and a husband. So then, to rightly understand what a wife's submission to her husband ought to look like, we need to consider the way in which the church submits to Christ. And the most communicated relationship between Christ and the church is one of lordship. Jesus is the Lord over his church, and as such, the church submits to him with honor, respect, and trust in everything. And this is how a wife is to submit to her husband. St. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, describes this in detail. He says the following, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Therefore, a wife is to submit to her husband with expressed and visible forms of honor and respect that flow from the hidden person of the heart, her eyes, her body language, words, and actions, all should communicate respect toward her husband. Now, this doesn't mean that a wife can never disagree with her husband or never argue with him. In fact, when Katie and I offer marriage counseling and get to the topic of conflict, we always speak to the necessity of fighting in marriage. Because when you encounter conflict, the healthiest thing to do is to face it head on. The unhealthy thing is to run away from it or try to ignore it. And so, while conflict in marriage is inevitable, and thus fighting in marriage is necessary, right, and good, and salutary to do, it must be done cleanly. Husbands and wives should not fight dirty. That means a wife should express her disagreements to her husband, but with honor and respect, not speaking negatively of him or withholding herself from him. At the end of the day, the wife, even in expressing her disagreements, still is to submit in everything. Likewise, a husband needs to communicate back to his wife, but not violently or in anger. And he should take into consideration all that his wife has to say, knowing that at the end of the day, he will be held accountable for her flourishment or lack thereof. So then, with all of that, we've considered these three verses. We've answered the following questions. What has been commanded? What does this mean? And what does this look like? 
In summary, the Apostle Paul has commanded that a wife must submit to her husband as to the Lord because her husband has been given authority over her and is responsible for her overall well-being. A wife should then submit to her husband with visible forms of honor and respect that flow from the hidden person of the heart. And with that, it is important to remember the motivation for why one would want to submit to their husband. A wife submits to her husband not as a means of justification, not as a means of earning acceptance with God, not as a means of earning her salvation. Instead, the Apostle Paul has said that we are first... A wife is first to submit to her husband out of love for God. Obeying God's law is ultimately expressed in worship toward him. Second, a wife submits to her husband out of love for neighbor. Submitting to your husband with honor and respect is practically loving your neighbor well, your husband. And third, a wife submits to her husband for her own personal joy. God has designed the world with hierarchy woven into the fabric of creation. When you attempt to cut against the grain of this design, you will be miserable. But when you conform to God's design, there actually is joy. God has designed marriage in such a way that wives, in your submission, you are to be cared for. And to be protected. And in that provision and protection, you are to receive and find real joy. So these are the three motivations for why a wife should submit to her husband. And with that, if you have failed to submit to your husband, if you have been reluctant, if you have been withholding, then it is good and right for you to confess your sins and repent and turn to your husband in willful submission. In closing, I want to answer some common objections to the Apostle Paul's command in verse 22. I think the most common objection to verse 22 from outside of the church goes something like this. Commanding a wife to submit to her husband degrades and lessens the value, dignity, and worth of a woman. Perhaps you yourself may feel this way or you know someone who thinks this way. And so here is my response to that. No. Commanding a wife to submit to her husband does not degrade or lessen the value, dignity, and worth of a woman. In this context, the Apostle Paul is speaking of wives as analogous to the church. As St. Paul is writing, he is operating with an extremely high view of the church. In his opinion, the church is beautiful, magnificent, and to be cherished. After all, Christ shed his blood for the church. Therefore, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, wives are beautiful, magnificent, and to be cherished and worthy of having bloodshed for them. And with this, Paul then affirms 
that women are equal to men in value, dignity, and worth. However, he is also operating with another presupposition, and that is this. Men and women are different and designed by God to fulfill different roles within the created order. For example, a husband cannot be a mother and a wife cannot be a father. And this does not mean that one role is greater than the other, as neither can exist without the other. However, it does mean that God has created the world in such a way that men and women are different, and that is good. And in this perfect design, he has created the husband to be the head over the wife, and this is good. Another common objection to verse 22 comes from within the church and is usually presented in the form of a question. What if I don't have a husband that is godly, noble, or just? Do I still need to submit to him? If you are here this morning, sincerely and curiously asking that question, let me begin by answering you with this. If you have a husband that isn't a believer, or you have a husband who professes faith but doesn't act like he is in Christ, he doesn't provide, he doesn't protect, he's undisciplined and self-centered, let me start by saying that I get your marriage is hard. I can't say that I know your situation firsthand in detail, but I can say that I do understand your situation intellectually. I've had to submit to people whom I didn't think were worthy of my submission. So let me start off by saying, I see you're hard, and I get it. But with that being said, the answer to your initial question is yes. Yes, you still need to submit to your husband. The apostle tells us that even in these situations, the law of God is still to be upheld and obeyed. Furthermore, the apostle Peter says that a wife's submission to her husband can be the very thing that changes his heart and behavior. He says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The Apostle Paul communicates a similar idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So yes, a wife is still expected to submit to her husband even when the circumstances are challenging and very hard. However, with that being said, submission is not the only thing a wife can do to influence and motivate her husband when he has sinned against her by abdicating his responsibility as a husband or father. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus gives us a timeless pattern to deal with those who have sinned against us. 
listen to the following words of Christ. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Wives who are in a hard situation. If your husband has sinned against you by abdicating his authority and responsibility as a husband or a father, then you should go to him with honor and respect and express how you have been sinned against in detail. If he doesn't listen or doesn't do anything to change and remains in the same delinquent pattern, then you need to invite others into the discussion. And in sensitive matters pertaining to marriage, I suggest inviting an elder of the church and his wife to be those witnesses. And if you are hesitant to do this because you think your husband might feel shamed, well, let me just say this. Shame and guilt are necessary steps toward repentance. So then, if you are in a hard situation, you should and you must, the command is still for you, to submit to your husband, show him honor and respect. But remember that that isn't the only tool available to you. Again, for the wife who is in a hard situation, keep submitting to your husband, as to the Lord. However, don't feel like you must remain stuck. Instead, respectfully go to your husband and if he doesn't repent, then appeal to two or three witnesses. And all of this should be motivated by a sincere desire to see your husband take up his mantle and lead well. This is not a means or an action towards usurping his authority. Considering all the things that I have said this morning, as we have looked at these three verses, wives of All Saints Church, the command to you this morning is this, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And again, if you have been reluctant to obey your husband, then confess and repent of your sin. If you have believed and bought into the false doctrine of feminism and think that you shouldn't or you don't have to submit to your husband, repent. If you are in a marriage in which your husband has abdicated his responsibility, keep submitting. And most importantly, women, wives, as you purpose to live life in Christ, the motivation for obeying, remember, is God, as a good heavenly father, has given you these commands ultimately for your joy. I pray this morning that you have seen what the apostle has commanded, what was meant, and what this looks like. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we bring our petitions to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we come before you as your dearly loved children. God, we know that you have given us commands because you love us, 
and you want us to experience joy in this world, in this life. We pray, Father, that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to be obedient to these imperatives, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to live in light of the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would empower us as husbands and wives to live as the Apostle Paul has commanded. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. prayers.